high levels of inequality, lower levels of growth. High levels of inequality, lower poverty reduction. High levels of inequality, lower levels of social trust. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast, where this week we take aim at the likes of Microsoft's Bill Gates, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Google's Larry Page, just three of the 62 people who have as much wealth as the poorest half of the world. Here with me to discuss this is inequality expert Faiza Shaheen. The richest 62 people in the world. You could fit them all on the Clapham Omnibus. Together, the world's richest people have amassed $1.76 trillion between them. Hello, so you're calling about this massive inequality? It's, it's very annoying. Microsoft's Bill Gates is marginally wealthier than Croatia. When the top one-tenth of one percent owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent, that is immoral, that is wrong. What we really need and where we've been really successful has been opening up markets to free trade and capitalism. That has done more to alleviate human poverty than anything else. So hello, Pfizer, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Wonderful. I'm very excited to have you. You've come, your reputation precedes you. So last week, uh, Oxfam released a report that said that the richest 62 people in the world have as much wealth as the poorest half of the world's population and that the richest 1% has as much wealth as the rest of us. So what exactly does Oxfam mean uh, by those statistics? Yeah, it sounds quite shocking, doesn't it? 62 people have as much wealth, really, than the half of the world's populations. That's quite shocking and it's caused quite a lot of controversy. I mean, what they mean by that, uh, by wealth, is financial assets. So things like stocks and bonds and deposits and what you have in your bank um, plus property. So the houses you own, if you're rich, the land you own, etc. And they kind of add that all up. And it's not actually Oxfam that adds that up, actually. It's um, Credit Suisse who do that. And they use their wealth data book to put together their numbers. And so what they mean really is that uh, inequality is really quite profound. stark and profound. Uh, and they've done it this number for the last three years. So it started off at 85 people, which was a real shocker the first time to hear something like that. Last year it was 80 people and this year it's 62. So that to them is the sign that things are getting much, much worse. And that certainly the numbers look that way, but there is some dispute over those numbers. Yeah. So a bunch of people have actually questioned the figures, uh, in particular, who they're defining as poor. Do you want to just tell us uh, what's the kind of story there? Yeah. So the thing is with these Credit Suisse numbers, which are effectively good. I mean, it's very hard to get a measure of wealth. I mean, that's the whole problem in a way. We don't know how bad this issue is. So as far as numbers go, I mean, it's the best that we probably have available in a global level. Um, the problem with this number is it, so it takes that wealth, so it's uh, property, assets, and then it minuses debt. And so if you're a graduate, say in the US, who have huge amounts of debt that they accumulate when they go to university, um, they may have a good job. They may have a top job in New York City and be earning 80 grand a year. Um, but they will also have thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of debt from the university. And it will look like that they are poor. They are wealth poor. 
Um, and so people really dispute that. In a sense, it would it would mean that person looks less wealthy than a subsistence farmer in uh, Malawi or something. So there is this number is not perfect. I mean, I think I think even Oxfam would admit that, but no number is perfect. It's very hard to measure wealth. I mean, think about it. There's billions of pounds in tax havens. People don't get don't have a real sense of how much wealth is is there and how wealthy the richest are. So this is the best that we can do. Um, and I think this whole conversation about the number is a bit of a distraction to the broader issue. And and I think the broader thing, <laughs> yeah, the broader point here is that. Inequality is bad and it's getting worse. Okay, but surely uh, the important thing uh, to be focusing on is that the poorest people across the world are actually getting richer and their lives are improving as a result. Why do you think it matters that the rich are also getting richer? So this is another thing that keeps coming up in dispute of this number. And I think there's a real um, problem of conflations of arguments here. So there's a there's a sense that um, high inequality equals capitalism equals which cap and then capitalism equals poverty reduction at the fastest rate we can possibly have. Now there's problems with all those connections in, in some way or another. Um, let me just break it down for you very quickly. Uh, so we're not saying those of us that say, and many people say now, and the OECD and IMF and the World Bank say that inequality is a problem. They're not saying inequality is a problem, therefore you can't have capitalism. There's certain types of capitalism that are making, and certain aspects of capitalism that are making inequality grow quite quickly. And then the, the link between capitalism and poverty reduction is also not clear because poverty reduction, the number that they're using, which is a global number, is effectively highly uh, connected to China's reduction in poverty. China does have capitalism, to some extent, it's also a communist state. And so it's you can't really say that without those caveats. So it's a massive conflation of that argument. And people, it, poverty reduction has happened and it is, you know, it is progress, certainly a good thing. Um, but to just talk that all up to capitalism and then say, if we have lower inequality, then we won't have capitalism then before we won't have poverty reduction. It's just not true. It's just not true. Um, in fact, we would have faster poverty reduction if we had lower levels of inequality. Okay, so I mean, I mean, I, I kind of get your point, but does it really matter if there's some people that are, you know, really rich and some people that are really poor? So I think the really is really important, and actually, is that you get this if you have the very rich and um, everyone else. Then, to me, that is a sign of who capitalism or who the economy is working for, and. That in itself, you know, people might have a problem with in terms of fairness and equality and just in a purely kind of a sense of what is right for a, a highly functioning human race. Um, but actually it has lots of economic and social costs. And that is what's becoming increasingly evident from the studies that are done you know, by big academics. So, um, for instance, they found high levels of inequality, lower levels of growth. High levels of inequality, lower poverty reduction. Um, high levels of inequality, high, um, lower levels of social trust between people and community cohesion, which has all kinds of kind of spin-offs in terms of problems for society and the economy. So inequality matters because it has a lot of economic and social costs. Okay, so um, like particularly mentioning the economy there, why is it that inequality actually um, is a bad thing for the economy? So there's a couple of things there. Um, often when you have high levels of inequality, you have uh, young people and children at, 
at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale that aren't reaching their potential. So they're not going to university or they're not they're not able to put their right amazing innovative idea into action. And because of that, the economy loses out, of course, because you don't have this amazing talent and then it's turned into kind of something what we'd call productive. The other big part of this, and this is what really connects to the, this wealth issue, is that when the type of inequality we have right now, which is very much about people accumulating wealth and they're accumulating wealth through stocks and shares and through housing wealth and property. And we see that definitely in London and, and big cities around the world, in fact. So they're accumulating that wealth. They're putting it in things that already exist. Then they're not changing. That's not creating jobs. That's not um, resulting in higher levels of growth and, and productivity. So it's kind of sucking money out of the economy. So it uh, um, sounds like we're talking here about a kind of global problem. Are there actually, you know, local examples in, in the UK, for example, about where inequality uh, exists and, and how it kind of uh, changes people's lives? Yeah, sure. So it is a global problem. There's a global problem of inequality between, say, the UK and Niger. But there's also a problem of in-country inequality. And that, again, exists in many countries from, you know, the, there's not that much of a problem, you would say, in Norway and Sweden and what have you. But you there's very high levels of inequality in other places like South Africa and large parts of Latin America. The UK actually is one of the most unequal high income countries. So it's certainly not as in unequal as South Africa or Brazil, but it is still highly unequal. And the consequences of that, again, are around those social and economic costs. So, for instance, why is it that we get so many young, we don't have so many young people from low income backgrounds getting a good job, going to university? That is about inequality. Um, why is it that we don't have uh, housing available for everyone, despite, you know, your wages? And that, again, is driven by some of this wealth and inequalities that we see. So, um, yeah, you can see it on the streets and you can see it. It's very obvious when you're you're walking and you see a homeless person and you, you, you know, those inequalities, everyday inequalities are really confront us, I think, all the time. Okay, so you've mentioned um, wealth inequality, you've mentioned accumulation of wealth, um, but can you really expect to do anything about that? Communism, here we come. Yeah, so again, I think this is the like big jump that's often made. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, I'm not being rude to you. I'm not being rude to you. Yeah, but I would say that this is the big jump that's often made. So, well, if you don't want inequality, then you want communism. But actually, that's not what most people say on inequality. So from Economists like Joseph Stiglitz, who who have really um, championed this issue of inequality the, over the last few years, the issue is not that because we have high levels of inequality, we want communism. The issue is to oh. say that the economy, you know, high levels. If we say absolute, and this really stuck out to me, I spoke to spoke to someone about working on this issue, and she she came from China, and she was very clear that absolute levels of equality are as oppressive as high levels of inequality. So we're not asking for communism. We're not saying everyone should have exactly the same pay. What we're saying is at some point when um, you have wages and wealth distribution that, to the extreme that you do, that's highly unequal, it has all kinds of other social and economic consequences. And the, and the idea is not communism, um, but it is about redistribution. It is about doing something about the financial markets that are creating all these kinds of skewness in our, in our systems. And it certainly is about um, doing something about the housing market. So I guess, do you think it's fair to take money away from people, uh, hardworking people, as we'd call them in the politics world, um, in order to do that? You know, how do you actually make that redistribution of wealth? 
Yeah, I think it is fair. I guess is the, is the bottom. Boom. I mean, I guess <laughs> what we would say. I had this really awkward conversation with um, a cousin of mine that's married to someone very rich and uh, about tax. And she was saying, oh, he pays so much tax. And then I thought he's a movie producer. He hopefully won't be listening to this. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, actually, he... Okay, A, did he earn his money? I mean, of course, like he works hard, um, but he was given because of his parents had a certain amount of money, therefore he was allowed a certain education. He also benefits much more from those investments. People that go to watch his movies, they watch, they use the rose, they use education. Like he benefits massively from those investments back into the public services because otherwise people wouldn't be able to go and see his films. Um, and <laughs> she didn't really react that well, yeah. but still, <laughs> still said it. Uh, yeah. Poor people can't go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> poor people that can't read or write are gonna, aren't going to understand your film and I mean that's a, that's a very kind of crass way in which to, to kind of think about this but ultimately it's that it's that everyone gains from these investment and public services yeah. and the rich often gain more than anyone else because they're trying to sell products or they're you know so so there's that and also living in healthy highly functioning happy societies that's good for everyone right even the rich I guess I can get on board with that Pfizer um, so <laughs> And finally, I guess, what what are people actually doing about this then? Obviously, you've put forward some kind of um, general points about, about redistribution, but is it our government's place to do this? Um, you know, big shot CEOs, should they say, you know, I, I don't deserve this? How, how do we actually sort this, this out now? Is it something like uh, the World Economic Forum at Davos? Is that what they're going to be talking about? So apparently, I had a colleague that went to Davos last year, and he said that they, even though inequality is like always bad as this issue that they're going to talk at Davos, it's more like lots of business people getting together and talking about how to make more money. So it's quite interesting that I don't think it's the place where you really get those discussions about what we really do about inequality. And if we compare how much the discussion on inequality has changed in terms of the numbers and the awareness and the concern, actually action has completely not match that and I think it's been wholly inadequate the reaction to that in terms of policy making and especially because there are certain things we can do and people know of course tax and redistribute is often the answer but it's also things like union rights and making sure that people can come together and make sure that they're not getting a poverty wage and they can bargain their wage up as is fair um and there's all kinds of things we can do. And yet we are not seeing policymakers take those steps. Cool. Well, Gates, Zuckerberg, uh, Larry Page from Google, if you're listening, um, there is something to be done here if we look at the Oxfam stats. Pfizer, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us. No problem. Loved it. So, gang, you've made it this far, uh, and if you like what you've heard and want others to hear it too, please send it to a friend, uh, leave us a cheeky review on iTunes, and at the very least, please give us some stars. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.